Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone liked that opening question and got to know uh, your neighbor a little bit better. For me, I threw this like lunchbox thing at a kid, and his name was Taylor because he was teasing me about being a girl, and it literally nicked his forehead, so I got in big trouble for that. Um, but anyways, so hi, everyone. Again, my name is Caroline, and not only am I a member of this wonderful community, but I also help serve as a leadership resident here at Forefront. So what does that involve? Well, I get to work alongside the staff and the wonderful ministry team members and leaders to help put on the production that you see here every Sunday morning. Uh, not only that, I get to help welcome newcomers with Mira and also work alongside Don Torrance on coordinating some of the materials that we share within our small groups. So another opportunity, though, that I get to have, and really it's a privilege um, within this role, is I get to sit alongside the staff on around a quarterly basis and we talk about our series planning. So series planning is when we gather to touch upon the themes and really the scriptures uh, and stories that we want to share throughout, um, throughout our series based on the on the Christian calendar. So as you know, or may not know, we're wrapping up our Roots series. Today is the last day. We're also wrapping up kind of summer. So when um, in our Roots series, we've been talking about the various characters that come up in the lineage of Christ, right? So we were talking about characters that we could discuss, and you know, all the normal ones kind of came up and surfaced. And then I said, hey, why not Hezekiah? So, like, how many people really know about Hezekiah? <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew a lot more than I really did, too. Um, but seriously, though, uh, Hezekiah is kind of a good illustration of what we read a lot of in the Old Testament. Hezekiah was a king of Israel during the reign of many kings during that time. And um, he's referred to... Uh, in various accounts of the kings, but then also within the lineage of Christ. So in the Old Testament, we read about these kings, and there seems to be this up and down motion, right? This king was obedient, and therefore Israel prospered. This king was disobedient, and so Israel was attacked. It's this ebb and flow of who was right in the eyes of Yahweh and who was not, based on whether you were obedient or disobedient. So the way that I learned about obedience and disobedience as a child uh, was through an illustration. JP's going to put up a picture of my sister and I, just to give you a little bit more of a visual. So we were in California, so I had to throw up a California picture uh, just this last week. So Facebook land, you will see that picture again. And then this is a picture of us uh, during the time of this illustration. Um, so my younger sister, Amanda, and I would sit on the floor in our living room and open up an umbrella. And this umbrella represented the hedge of God's protection. When you were underneath the umbrella, you were safe and therefore obedient. It wasn't until you kind of like snuck outside of the umbrella that you would get a beanie baby thrown in your face. <laughs> that beanie baby represented the consequence of your sin and being outside of the umbrella was being disobedient. 
Very literal example, right? So um, that's how I learned about obedience and disobedience. Um, really, truly, today, I would much rather deal with getting a beanie baby to the face than having to deal with like the consequences of some of this, my actions as an adult. Um, but net-net, Hezekiah kind of dealt with this obedience, disobedience, you know, consequences, and events all throughout his reign as king. And also, as I kind of sat down to think about what I wanted to share with you guys today from his story, I didn't really realize how relatable it truly is to us today. See, with many things, there's a cause and effect, right? You push your younger sister out from underneath the umbrella and she gets hit in the face with a stuffed animal. Um, but life doesn't always work quite that linearly, right? Whether you grew up with a background like mine or something similar, or you're still even trying to figure out if God is a thing, um, you can't deny the fact that we as humans often think very sequentially, right? So... Something bad happening in my life is the result of um, something bad causing it. And because we're human, often we uh, tend to blame ourselves for the things that we didn't even cause. For a very basic example of this, when was the last time you said to someone, oh, I'm so sorry, and you didn't have anything to do with the reason why you're saying you're sorry. Um, but to take this example just a little bit deeper and beyond that, is there a piece of your history that may still affect you today? You know, was there something bad that happened in your life or is happening in your life and you're thinking, is God mad at me? Periodically, do things kind of creep up and cause you to pause? It's the kind of pain that lasts a little bit longer than getting hit in the head with a beanie baby. And why is it important for us to know about Hezekiah? Well, his past was also not quite so perfect either. Again, I mentioned he's referred to all over the Bible, but his story is cross-referenced in four Old Testament books. And these accounts include the fact that his father did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, basically, the kingdom that Hezekiah was inheriting was quite the fixer-upper. And he had, no, um, he had no option to sell or to buy or to restore. He, he had to take this burden on because he was now the king of Israel. Regarding his father and former king Ahaz, second king explains in verse 3, he sacrificed one of his sons in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nation of the Lord, had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. Reading further in the chapter uh, more about Hezekiah's father, it really kind of hits home a little bit more of his disobedience. The bronze altar that stood before the Lord, he brought it from the front of the temple and put it on the north side of the new altar. He took away the Sabbath canopy that had been built and removed the royal entryway outside the temple of the Lord. So right there, we're seeing already that there's this separation in, in Israel, right? There's this divide with peace. And again, the lineage before Hezekiah was a little warped and detestable. See, 
when you turned over your religious symbols during that time, it meant that your kingdom was weak and susceptible. It meant that you were willing to bend. And it was also a major sin in the sight of Yahweh. And what the king before Hezekiah was doing was he was taking the temple of the Lord and now dedicating it to these foreign gods. So for the majority of Hezekiah's reign, he is working to restore this temple, to rebuild Israel's um, authority and reputation as a nation, not just to say, hey, we're Israel and we're better than you, but to literally protect his people. If his land was at risk, then his people's livelihood was at risk. So he was trying to rebuild this temple that had been destroyed. So we kind of look at Hezekiah now and we're like, hey, this guy had a lot of good things going for him, right? He's rebuilding the temple. He's fighting against these foreign nations. He's doing everything that his bad father before didn't do. But that's not the end of the story. In 2 Kings 20 verse 1, we read, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is right in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, I, for one, am not trying to lead a, a a nation that is volatile to foreign attacks. And I certainly am not sick to the point of death, but I can kind of relate to this overwhelming feeling that Hezekiah must have felt at this time. I mean, why now is my career like the most successful and then I'm given more responsibilities? Or why is it that, you know, I'm losing job hours at my second job and I can't, you know, pay, barely pay my rent as it is? Why now can't the doctor tell me what's wrong with my child or my friend or my sick parent? See, looking at the context of Scripture at this time, again, we're talking about Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, their interpretation of sickness was that, was that you were not right in the sight of the Lord. After all, we read in a lot of the books that that um, in the first couple of books of the Bible about all of these practices and sequences that you have to go through in order to even return to normal society after being sick. You know, you have to cleanse this, you have to wash this, and then you can return to the temple. But even whenever you return to the temple, you have to sacrifice this lamb and that lamb and this one that doesn't have a spot on it and all of these rules and regulations, right? So... For them, I mean, and don't even get me started on what women had to do on a monthly basis to return to society after their menstrual cycle. See, at the time, sickness equated to weakness, and weakness equated to less than God's standards. Was Hezekiah actually on the right path since he was dealing with this illness? Was his illness a result of his father's sins? And what does it really mean to be right in the eyes of the Lord anyway? And for us, I mean, is what I'm dealing with, whether fill in the blank for you, your loneliness, your unemployment, your family drama, is that punishment? So we're in this series called Roots right now, and I want us to ask ourselves, what's at the core of our value? 
Are we causing ourselves to feel a separation when it may not really be there? Are we putting a burden on ourselves? Are we equating our values as individuals to events in our life? Often we're taught that we have to feel suffering in order to overcome guilt. So a large chunk of the Psalms is David crying out on his bed at night for forgiveness because of his adultery. We also read in the New Testament about Paul and his thorn inside of his flesh. And now we're reading about Hezekiah and Hezekiah's turmoil with the, with the other nations. And this was all believed to be a direct result of sin. And we, so we say to ourselves, this is normal. This heavy guilt, this is all normal. I mean, I hear this a lot from my friends who were firmly religious or maybe have a really strong um, orthodox or evangelical background. They'd rather ignore the feelings that, you know, are placed on you because of guilt or sin than consider community now, than consider a relationship with God now. The burden of their experience ultimately didn't bring them freedom, it brought condemnation. And they'd rather forget about that than embracing what's available to them. It ultimately, their experience with faith, did not benefit them. But maybe in this example or this instance, we're using faith outside of the way that it was initially intended or designed. We're using it to rid ourselves of guilt rather than embracing the messiness that faith can be sometimes. So regardless of Hezekiah's past with his father or his present with his current sickness or the future outcome of whatever this attack may bring, uh, he knew what had to be done and that was to rebuild the temple in an, or, in an effort to demonstrate Israel's authority and strength. See, it meant for the Israelites not only unity within their nation to have the temple rebuilt, but also unity with God. The temple signified direct access to God and also gratitude for his provision and forgiveness. So what Hezekiah was doing for us in rebuilding the temple was illustrating and ushering in of Christ that we read about in the New Testament. We don't have temples today, but through Christ's death, we, um, he is that representation of love and repentance. Each of our bodies is now a temple, holy in Christ's eyes, and we have direct access to him outside of our mistakes, outside of our feelings of guilt. I mean, it was even difficult for the disciples to grasp this thought at first, uh, I'm reminded of a story in John 9 where Jesus heals a blind man. And to set the scene is the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples are kind of chilling, walking around. They come upon a blind man. And of course, the Pharisees are there in the background because they're always there in the background. And um, Jesus, uh, so in, in John 9, 2, it reads, Jesus encounters the blind man. And they ask, the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Equating sin to an outcome. Jesus' reaction is not like, guys, you know what, you're right. It's the Sabbath. 
this guy sinned, I can't heal him. No, he literally flips the culture upside down. See, the Pharisees were more concerned about him not healing on the Sabbath, following that rule, um, rather than actually opening their eyes to the healing that was happening right before them. They'd much rather stick to this script of orthodox doctrine than accepting the fact that things don't always run linearly. After Christ's mud-to-the-face, mic-drop moment, the blind man is healed, and he ends the conversations with the Pharisees like this. If you were blind, you... If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So I left off sharing about how Hezekiah went to Isaiah to talk about further guidance for his sickness. And in 2 Kings 20, it further reads in verse 4. This is the scripture that Jonathan shared a little bit earlier. Before Hezekiah had left the middle court of the king... The word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and I've seen your heels, tears and I will heal you. Okay, it doesn't always work that easily, but Hezekiah asking for help in the time that he needed it, accepting that trust in Yahweh outside of the circumstances before him, ultimately resulted in his healing. And as humans, we're naturally born with this intense obligation to rid ourselves of all uncomfortable feelings. Um, in my past therapy sessions, I've been told to let the feelings pass. Um, so is guilt something that we're putting on ourselves and preventing us from seeing the broader scope of the situation? Is it affecting the people around us? And... Is it also affecting how I view myself through Christ? Is it more about the sin rather than how, how Christ views me? One of my favorite authors, Anne Lamont, writes in a memoir of hers, which I highly recommend, as always. Any book that someone references in a teaching, they're like, I highly recommend it. But truly, it's, it's great. But thinking about this whole concept of faith and and um, view how we deal with those feelings. She writes, And then I remembered this basic religious principle, that God isn't there to take away our sufferings or our pain, but to fill it with his or her presence. So Hezekiah experienced consequence, because there are consequences to actions. Was his fight with the warring nations a result of decisions made during his father's reign? Yes. Was his sickness a result of sin? No. Was Hezekiah perfect after he was healed? No. Was Yahweh there for Israel regardless? Absolutely. So Hezekiah moving forward and reconstructing the temple is a sign of pushing forward past the feelings it's a sign of maturity when we ask for the things that we need. So similarly, if you're in a place where you need a little bit of accountability or there might be a behavior or an effect on your life that's like really weighing you down, that's what we're here for as community. That's what 
we're here all together for. So don't be paralyzed by that. And all of this, um, it kind of, it reminds me of a story that I wanted to share with each of you today. It's very close to me. Um, about a year ago, my uncle passed away. And see, it was just my uncle and my aunt. They had no children between themselves. Um, and a month after he had passed, I get this call from my aunt. And she tells me that I have a cousin that I didn't know about. Yeah, um, my aunt during her college years, unbeknownst to anyone in my family except for my mom, um, had a child, birthed the child, and then put him up for adoption all on her own. Well, with the help of a friend who was a lawyer. Um, and put the child up for adoption. And now, 30 years later, he was reaching out to become a part of her life. Now, we did all the background checking, and he really is legit, my, <laughs> my aunt's son. So it kind of made his family sort of angels for my family in a time when we, when we really needed it the most. Uh, my sister and I were the only kids in our family, so to know that we had a grown cousin who had a wife and an amazing, cute little baby girl, it was just, we were, we were absolutely ecstatic. But not only for me was it the kind of stuff that Lifetime movies are made out of, it, <laughs> it was this amazing story of resilience and provision that ultimately resulted in blessing. It was something really beautiful that came out of a little messy situation. And while my aunt did carry the secret around with her for, um, for longer than I think she needed to, the way that the Lord comforted her at a time when she needed it the most only illustrates for me the beauty in his design and um, the restoration found in trusting him. So see, regardless of past, present, or future, I think what we learned through this series, this root series, is that there is a bigger God, there's a bigger Jesus, and there's a much bigger plan. He may not be able to take away all of our consequences, but the good news is, is that each of us are already redeemed. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for my family. I don't know what I would do without them. Thank you for my church family because it's through this community that I've been able to really see you. Thank you for the forgiveness and direct access that we have to you through your death. Thank you for the stories that we can read about in the Old Testament to help inspire us and push us through the day-to-day -day grind. Pray for each person here and thank you again for this wonderful day for your replenishment in the rain, and for the future. Pray all this in your name. Amen. <laughs>